Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 306. So we got something new on our website, MacFab.com. If you go to to MacFab.com slash podcast, we have a subscribe button finally. Finally, 300 something episodes in, you can subscribe. You can subscribe through our website to get to the podcast. I think it basically like hooks into all the apps and all that good stuff. Yeah, Um, it pulls up a little like sub window that you can go to whoever's your favorite. Exactly. And uh, there's also a MacFab.com slash Slack. And you do that, you get to our our public Slack channel where we have basic conversations about the podcast, our articles, anything that's in electrical engineering news with 600 other fellow podcasts and MacFab enthusiasts. I like that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we, we've we've said this many, many times, but it's worth just continuously saying the Slack channel is absolutely amazing. All the people in there are fantastic. And I see uh, messages come by, not to me, just in general chat all the time of engineers asking other engineers for their thoughts and opinions and just uh, ideas for things or just throwing down like, hey, I found this really cool part. Maybe someone will like it. Uh, and so if those kinds of things really excite you, I know I love seeing that every day. Uh, come join MacFab.com slash Slack. And then we haven't set it up yet. Um, an easy way to find our live stream, but It'll probably be something like macfab.com slash live stream or slash Twitch. But it's if you go to twitch.tv slash uh, macfab, you can watch our live stream, which we do at 6 o'clock Central Time. Um, Tuesdays. Tuesdays, yes. I was trying to figure out what part of the time I forgot, and it was the uh, date. <laughs> and um, one more thing, one more piece of news is next week we are doing our annual star wars podcast and it is going to be insane because we're going to have well we'll have steven of course uh me and then what we're also going to have roz and hyron and i think chris craft is going to show up too oh, i haven't chris confirmed craft, with chris but i think chris was was interested and so we're going to have those three on to talk about star wars Particularly the tech and Star Wars. Yeah, let's give a quick description for those who maybe haven't been around. So once a year, we we do a Star Wars episode where we talk about technology and engineering in Star Wars. But it also tends to leak out into other sci-fi worlds. But we've just kind of pinned it as a Star Wars episode. And And it's kind of been just a fun thing that Parker and I can look forward to every year to just have a... Uh, have an episode where we can pick apart things in the movies and prove things or disprove things. Um, and then we get guests on every year to join us and they, uh, they weigh in with their opinions on, on things. So yeah, tune in next week for that. It's, it's really fun every year. I think it's going to be our sixth one. Yeah. Wow. Six. Awesome. <laughs> and, and all I was three a- of those Roz, Chris Craft and Hyron have been on multiple episodes in the past. So you can go yes. listen to a lot of the, I mean, we probably have between the three of them, we probably have 10 to 15 episodes. Yeah. As guests. Yeah. And I think, uh, Roz was on the last couple of years of the star Wars podcast and Hyron was as well. That's right. Yeah. So I think this would be Chris Kraft's first, uh, star Wars podcast. First star Wars. And yeah. Yeah. 
Oh man, like that original Star Wars podcast back in December 2016. That was fun. In the uh, post office bomb shelter, and we actually so that's actually the only properly video recorded podcast as well. So go, that's actually still on YouTube. Go check that out. How many uh, listeners, uh, what viewers? Because like forever, it only had like two hundred views. I it, bet you it has like it has two hundred. I'm impressed. Oh, it had two hundred <laughs> like the first year, and then didn't get any more. Yeah, go check that out. Uh, many, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. That that it was that was such a fun production to do because Josh set up like a multi cam setup. Oh, Josh yeah, is our like, our audio engineer. And, it was a whole thing. Yeah, it was. It took hours to do. It was a lot of fun. And it's just the whole multicam setup was really cool. Three hundred and twenty-six views. <laughs> so we gained one hundred and twenty-six over the last four years. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was all fun though. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, I we always yeah, it's that's always one of those ones. I mean, let's let's be honest. Every episode we we tend to have a really good good time but the star wars oh, one true. we always look forward to it like although this one this year is a little bit different because this year we don't have like a piece of really really big like disney content to talk about so we get to there is kind of go into the, the tendrils of others yeah true there is star wars visions which isn't canon um and it's right. that's a highly i think i'm the only person in our star wars group that we talk about star wars that actually likes it so <laughs> well okay so mandalorian season three is coming out sometime next year i think yes yeah, next year the book of boba fett coming out end of this month oh, um, so it's gonna be after this then uh, yeah after well it's like it's almost end of the year kind of thing uh i and then and then from there i don't i don't know like what the next movie is supposed to be from disney i don't think they've announced one like an, a date hmm Got to look it up now. Now we're turning this into a Star Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to dig too far. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there is one yet. So. All right. So what are we talking about today? We've been we've been wanting to talk about this for weeks. For weeks now, except we kept coming up with either different topics. Well, no, we were supposed to talk about this topic back at Thanksgiving, and we ended up talking about beer for 50 minutes. <laughs> um, Homebrewing beer. Yep. And uh, so this is a continuation of our talk about soldering equipment, soldering supplies, like building your own electronics lab at home or at your office, like, like if you're a startup. Um, so this is, we're going to talk about bench equipment for test and or development. I think we're going to lean more towards development, like actually designing hardware instead of tests. Because we talk about test equipment all the time. Um, so I think we're going to lean more towards development. Um, yeah, the so, uh, the yeah. requirements are slightly different if you're if you're going towards development. Um, Correct. Honestly, when I'm, when I'm looking at test stuff, I'm not looking at something that's, you know, I, I, I'm looking for something that was is within budget, gets the job done, and will last forever. Whereas with development, uh, my criteria is quite a bit different. Yeah, a lot lower. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, depending on what you're designing, of course. Because sometimes you, 
if you're designing like cell phones or something like that, or up in the gigahertz range of frequencies, you're gonna have to spend some money on getting the right piece of equipment. So this is not really to talk about that stuff though. This is like designing your own first piece of hardware. You're, you're an electrical engineer right out of college maybe, or you have a startup and you need to supply your hardware engineers with some equipment to actually get stuff done. Um, so the first thing we're gonna talk about is the lab power supply. Now, so Steven, what was your first lab power supply? Mm, um, you still have it? I do. I my, my first personal one. Yeah, let me go grab it real quick. Okay, so I'll talk about my first personal one while Steven's doing that. Is I built my own. I took a rate. It was a I took a radio apart and got the transformer out of it. Combined that with an LM three seventeen and a potentiometer and a fan. And then I I can't remember where I got the heat sink from. And then I made a wooden box and had a little had displays on it so you could see how much voltage and how much amperage it was outputting and that's I used that all the way through college. Nice. Uh Oh wow, this is awesome. So I've got my very first power supply right here. Ooh, lucky. Um, it's that a, thing's nice. It's a dual, what, a 0 to 30 volt 3 amp with a 5 volt 3 amp uh, in the middle kind of guy. And uh, it's from circuitspecialist.com. In fact, like, Circuit that's specialist. Writ- it's written on the front of this power supply. I bought this, I don't remember how long ago, long, long time ago. And what's great is it looks like they still sell this actually you know what's funny i i remember paying 199 dollars for this gosh it was it was right out of college i bought this 199 199 bucks for this and it is 225 dollars now so it's gone up 25 bucks in 11 12 years something like that uh yeah and this thing is still chugging it's great i mean it's heavy it's big it's a big old linear guy with a giant transformer in it um but yeah yeah, the 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 only thing that really sucks about this power supply uh, that I think is really dumb is uh, you can't turn the supply on with current limiting on. You have to turn it on and then activate current limiting. So it doesn't work to like cold turn this on into like it doesn't have like an output enable button kind of thing. Yeah, if yeah. that makes sense. Also, the only way to determine the current limiting on it is to short it and then like press up down buttons and watch the current on it. So, oh, go up and down? To go up, I can't yeah. Remember you what, go up. what power supply I had to use that did that too? I can't remember. It's, uh, yeah, those are some pretty bad features, if you ask me. I wouldn't call Very those bad. features. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, it's not features at all. But you know, this one does have series parallel um, on on a button on front, so it is kind of nice to have a supply that can do zero to sixty volts, three amps, or yeah. I guess zero to thirty eight uh, six amps. I'm looking for a picture of this power supply built. I'm I'm trying to find pictures from twelve years ago peering into the archives on my website basically <laughs> I don't so really while you're doing it, that like 
to be honest, if, if you're getting a brand new power supply, I think power supplies are actually, it's very much worth <clears throat> getting something that is halfway decent to begin with. Uh, I agree. Because you can run into a lot of problems that you think is your circuit and ends up just being garbage power. In fact, I'm running into that right now at work. I'm, I'm powering my units from a really nice Keithley supply that I have. And then I'll switch over to another uh, to another power supply that is considerably worse, and uh, I get I get different calibration, um, or I get I get issues with it. Let's just put it that way. Um, and so you know, it's 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 interesting to see like just to be able to switch between the two and just see how much of an impact a good versus a bad power supply has. It's really tangible at that point. Uh, and and so if if you got a little bit of extra money, you might want to consider buying a a good power supply. And and one of the things to consider is like, well, what is good versus bad? How do you know what is good? Let's just put it this way: if you're if you're going to Amazon and you find a power supply that has like really crazy specs and it's like 30 bucks. That's probably a good indicator. It's not a good power supply, you <laughs> not know? a good power supply. Yep. And, and in general, most people, uh, I mean, it's a lot, it, it's different nowadays if you ask me, but, um, if you can avoid a switch mode power supply, benchtop power supply, I, I would, I'd still go with a linear. If you yeah, can go with a big that. chunky linear power supply, you'll get, sure. you'll get better noise, uh, and you'll get better. Uh, you can drive, a variety of loads better. With it. Yes, much better. Anything that's inductive will be much happier. <laughs> yeah, switch modes kind of hate inductive loads, right? So yeah, yeah that, if, you, but, if you're doing something with motors, then you're going to have some issues. Well, not just that, though, is also other switch mode power supplies. Like if you're designing a circuit, they're not going to be really happy with a noisy, you know, lot, uh, benchtop uh, switcher as well. Right. Because those are really designed to most circuits are designed off batteries or off like USB power, which are generally clean sources of power. Mm. So, so you I, know, I found a picture of my first power supply that I, oh, I nice. and I built it. So it's on the stream right now. Steve. Oh, rock and roll. Yeah. I think there's a schematic too. So, so, so those power supplies that I'm talking about that are like 30 bucks and do like 30 volts, five amps. I think those are actually they have really good applications, but most of the time, like I would use those if I needed. Let's say I had like a heater on a on something that I needed to just dump heat into, and I needed to have a controlled voltage and current. That would be a great power supply to do that. Or let's say I was doing like I know uh, Parker, you talk, uh, you talked in the past about like anodizing or something like that. You could use a supply like that where you're just dumping a bunch of current into a yep. you know an electrolyte bath or whatever. Like yeah, those power supplies are good for those kind of applications. But if you're developing you know uh, some kind of circuit that it like requires uh, any kind of precision, I would not. I would steer away from those. Yeah, I I would recommend because for basically $300 you can get like a three channel or two channel linear power supply that's adjustable that can go you know a couple amps up to like usually it's like 30 volts per channel mm. um on my shelf i got a siglent up there um it's like the base model siglent there's a base what, what's the rigel one that we had at work oh is it, it starts with a three i think yeah the only problem with the rigel is it's got a weird number pad thingy on it yeah um it's like Rigel 8 something. Oh, DP831? 
Yeah. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's a that, that's also a really good power supply too. It's a great supply. You know, actually that that brings up a good point. One thing too that that seems really enticing um, but the more you use supplies, uh, you'll find out that it's not like you can, you'll start getting into like you searching for power supplies and then you'll see like, Oh, this one, um, moves in uh hundred millivolt steps, but this other one moves in 10 millivolt steps. And then you can buy an upgrade to move it in one millivolt steps. 99.9% of the time, your power supply doesn't need that kind of resolution. Uh, so you know, really, really consider what your applications are, like just globally what you're looking for. If this is just a box that's going to dump out five volts or 3.3 or 12 or something like that, do you really need one millivolt resolution? And are you, do you really need to spend an extra 150 bucks to get that one? Or more. It, no, it's going to be more than that. <laughs> right, right. And then on top of that, like, what if you really do need that are you now are you running into a problem where you're trying to use your power supply as like a reference standard uh and now you're trying to like cross the boundaries between it doing a job that is really not intended to not so, intended in because because ref, well the thing about reference standards is they're not supposed to you're not supposed to draw a lot of current off of them <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, do you need one, one millivolt resolution at five amps? <laughs> yeah, that that's actually one thing I think uh, about lab power supplies is I would get a multi-channel and then lean towards more amperage than less amperage because you could always serialize those two channels and get you know basically double voltage assuming assuming their outputs are floating which that's 99 percent of the time that's oh the that's actually a good point if you get a two channel or a three channel make sure each channel is is floating between right. each other right so you can you can uh configure them Abuse however them. you feel like it based off of how you plug them in yeah yeah paralyze to you know double your current or serialize to double your uh voltage or just flip them around for negative and not get into trouble. Yeah, that's true too. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I recommend. I I really like the Siglent one I have. Um. There's a we had a Rigel, we have a Rigel one at work. Um. There was there was one I was looking at. You know, one feature that that that's on fancier supplies. I shouldn't even say fancier. Just like. Uh, whatever supplies that I just don't even care about and I wouldn't even spend money on. Uh, like if it comes on it, cool. If not, whatever. I don't care about keypads at all. Like I need a little wheel that I can turn and I need to be able to select which digit I'm adjusting, but I don't care to type in 12.625 enter and it goes to that. I, I can just spin the wheel to it because here's the thing, like having a, having a keypad or whatever is, is really nice and all, but all said and done, 99% of the time, your power supply, you set it up and then it stays in the same configuration for the majority of your development. So it's not something that you're touching all the time unless you're just like turning it on and off or enabling outputs and things like that. So having all of these extra digital features that go on top is cool, but you'll use them very rarely. Uh, so if that contributes to the price and you're being really cost conscientious go with one that has better specs but less buttons on the front i guess yeah and one thing we didn't touch on here is make sure it has it it can be current limited and on top of that is make sure you can current limit it 
while it's outputting. So you can adjust it, you know, while it's trying to supply your circuit power. I oh, say. in other words, it's not, it doesn't like latch and then you have to unlatch it to. Yeah. Like yeah. power it off and turn it back on. Cause some of the less expensive ones are only that way. Um, going back to what you were talking about with not like being able to adjust it with knobs, having the current adjust on a knob is really convenient on figuring out how much current your device needs to even operate basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I have the Siglent and then I have a really cheap, it's like a HY1803, which is, it's actually a really good power supply, but a lot of engineers, uh, especially on like the EEV blog will like shun you away from them because they're, it's got a really bad um, failure mode, which is like, it connects like part of your circuit to like mains. So <laughs> if, if like the main transistor and it blows up or something. Oh, that's that's lovely. But the great thing about it is it's it's a linear power supply and it's got two knobs on the front and that's it. <laughs> mm, that's lovely. Voltage and current. So yeah, uh, what, one other thing that is enticing about power supplies, but uh, and I've gone for this in the past and then realized that I if I really wanted it, I would buy it for the application. Like having USB or GPIB or whatever like specialty control on supplies, that's super awesome. But you almost never use it until you need it. And then the time that you need it, you would buy the power supply for that reason. So yeah. like that's, that's one, more like, on the test side too. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like if I was developing a test bed, I would go specifically specify a power supply that had that such that I could build that into my test rig. But for my benchtop guy that I just need to pop on, throw some voltage in and start playing with, like I, I'll, I just never use it whatsoever. So just keep that in mind. That's enough. Like everything that we're talking about here adds cost to your supply and adds features, but doesn't necessarily make its underlying function better. It's just features to control its underlying function. Yep. Okay, so that's the lab power supply. Yeah, I think we beat that one to death. Yeah. Um, oscilloscopes is probably like the next big one that when when people imagine what electronics uh, layer looks like, it's just it's a bunch of oscilloscopes with licious you uh, like spinning on the screens everywhere. Right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so oscilloscopes, um, important. Um, Steve and I have like conflicting views on oscilloscopes because he uses one practically daily in development. I use one whenever. Basically, something bad is happening with my circuit. It's not the first thing I reach for when doing development. Um, but I do have one. It's very important because you, sometimes you just got to look at that signal and figure out what's going on. Um, so for me, I would say uh, you can buy... I, again, I've been using at work uh, kind of like a medium, low-range Siglent, and it's been pretty fantastic. I'm not doing you know high-speed stuff. It's only uh, a 200 megahertz scope. Um, and actually, speaking of that, if you want to learn more about oscilloscopes, especially if you're going to go buy one and talk about bandwidth, there's a very good video that just came out about what that means for a scope. Mm. Um, I will, let me see if I can 
find what that is. Yeah, and and having, like Parker said, I use a scope nearly every day, and um, I, I I lean a lot more towards digital scopes now than I have in the past. Although analog scopes are fantastic for general everyday work that I do, because I'm looking a lot at amplitude and um, doing calibration to particular points and things like that, and uh. Analog scopes make that really, really quick. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, oh, so the video is by actually James Lewis, who's been on our podcast, oh, uh, cool. Bold Engineer. Um, so, yeah, we'll, I'll post this video. Um, and uh, it's like a 10-minute video about just like, what does bandwidth mean for our oscilloscopes? And uh, interestingly enough, that channel he's on, Element 14, is doing a whole series about workbench stuff, which oh, is kind of what cool. we're talking about this week. So, uh, yeah, go check out that video because there's a lot of specs in oscilloscopes and, like, it might not even matter to you about how much bandwidth you have. Um, so I would aim, if this is, like, a new lab that you're setting up and you're just doing, like, IoT stuff or uh, Arduino ball controllers thing. or audio amplifiers or something like that, like a 200 megahertz scope, two-channel would probably be fine. Oh, yeah. Four channels would be awesome. Um, but yeah, two channels mostly gets you through most things. Yeah, uh, there's there's only rare situations I've run into where I really, really could use four. Yeah. Like I could but usually get nice away type. with two. Yeah, usually get away with two. Um, there's, I would say just a more, I would aim for the more modern scope too. Uh, versus a buying like a U scope on eBay because most time when you get one off of eBay, it's not going to be calibrated. You're probably going to have to recap it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have a old Tektronic TDS 520, which is a 500 megahertz scope. It's actually awesome because it's like one of the last analog all screen. Like it's all analog. It's got CRT and everything in it, but it's got like the digital readouts that are on the screen. Like so you can actually like. You 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 can just look at a number and see the frequency, and so except like on my old Tektronic, what four six four, we have to like see what your division is and then count on the screen Classic. how many tick marks it is. <laughs> so um, modern scopes can just measure way more stuff faster and more accurately, um, and just because it's not a CRT doesn't mean it's bad. Like the modern LCDs refresh just as fast. Like, there was that old Owen that we had at mm-hmm. work. Nothing was garbage. But, I mean, it worked. It worked barely. Yeah. Whereas, like, it's interesting for the same price nowadays, you can get a Siglent. I know I'm harping on, I like, saying Siglent a lot, but that's the equipment I have. It, yeah, it's what you're used to. Um, and that scope is awesome now. I think it's like a SDS series scope. So At this point, I yeah, I would say even, like, don't even try to go to like flea markets and find an old scope or don't. don't but that used like, to be the only way to get something that was decent. Right, right. Yeah. Like, but, but nowadays, like, save up a few pennies and buy whatever decent, like, Rigel or Siglent or whatever you can get. And I guarantee you'll be happy. Honestly, for me, what I've run into is like screen refresh is one of the things I care about more than like overall bandwidth because I just want to yeah. be able to see my signals 
faster. Yeah. Um, and really screen refresh, especially on these more modern LCD scopes. And then like how responsive is that the buttons and knobs? Because the worst thing is like using the knob and the encoder isn't refreshed fast enough. So it, like you end up like scrolling backwards for some reason. Yeah. That uh, Owen scope did that all the time. That thing was garbage. You know, uh, th- this is on virtually every digital scope now but it is a thing that this is probably the one mode i use more than anything else is just pause just stop and see your waveforms printed on the screen because so many times i have to look at you know what is x signal doing versus y signal uh, you know at particular times and just being able to do a single wave capture or even a capture of uh, you know, a handful of periods of a wave and then be able to scroll around. That's the biggest thing about digital scopes for me that like I'm, I'm even fine with taking lower bit resolution on the screen if I have that capability. Yep, I agree. So um, that's really all I have about say about scopes, I guess. I think, you know, the, the only other thing I can think of is sometimes and and it for me it's really sometimes having like math functions is nice so like some uh, scopes will allow you to apply an FFT um some yeah and scopes, you get a rudimentary spectrum analyzer kind of out of it sort of yeah and and some yeah. other scopes will allow you to do like a plus b or a minus b or a times b that kind of stuff um and that's that's fun and nice and there's a few situations where that works out but um but I wouldn't buy my scope based on those things. No, and most, I'll say actually every single modern digital scope I've used has those things built in. Right, right. So, um, all right, next, frequency generator. I, do I own one of these? <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, you do. In fact, I have the same one you do. Yeah, I think I... I bought this one because you recommend it. Cause I think I had one project. I needed it and that was about it. And it was cheap. Uh, it was inexpensive. Yes. Yeah. I think it was like 40 bucks on eBay or something like that. <laughs> to be, to be fully honest, I wouldn't buy a frequency generator nowadays. No. Like there's no. just like, if you need one, you know, you need one, but yeah, for anyone else, you like you one. don't need it. Yeah. And at work, and- I, design and make frequency generators so i don't need any like i just use the product <laughs> as the frequency generator yeah. you know so and what you what you make is probably better than what a frequency generator could do well at least perhaps, the 40 dollar better isn't the right word there but it's more like it's more in tune with being able to test all the other things i need to do because it's yeah, the right amplitudes yeah. it's the right like all the all the connections so much more as i as i grow as an engineer is like uh how do I reduce the barriers for me getting my job done? So if I have to make a custom connector or a cable or something like that, that's fine and all. And that's great. Um, so maybe I'll make a custom connector one day for a really nice f- frequency generator. But if I can get away with just using the product that I have, and maybe it's not as good as my frequency generator, but everything's already set up to plug in, I'll use that, <laughs> you know, because yeah, it's yeah. easier. Yeah, so what a, I guess we haven't explained what a frequency generator is, but it's a box that you can output waveforms at frequencies with different amplitudes and offsets. And it might be because this one was $40 on eBay, but I can never get it to output what I want it to output on the first try. Hmm. 
Um, it's probably also because I don't know how to adjust it really. So, but what I end up doing is plugging it directly into my oscilloscope and then tune <laughs> the frequency generator to make the waveform I want it to make before pumping that into my circuit. That totally works. Yeah. Yeah, it works. It's just like I should be able to like read the readout and read what I'm setting the knobs to, but it's probably not calibrated or anything like that anymore. Yeah, uh, and frequency generators I've found like the, you sort of there's sort of like two worlds of frequency generators. You have the low end stuff that is like pretty manual where you have to like just turn knobs and look it on a scope to find what you get. And then and then there's like the high end of frequency generators where like everything is super digital and super nice and you just click a couple buttons and you get exactly what you want. But with those, you're spending so much money to get all of that feature set that um, the only people who are really going to have that or spend that money are the people who know they need that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So probably don't need a frequency generator unless you need one. Right. But and, it's also, uh, they're also, they're very good if you need to do like sweeps, uh, if you need to measure like the output of a, uh, of a filter. And so, you know, you can just sweep the input and then measure your output with your oscilloscope and then you can uh, you get your response. Yeah, if you want to find your 3 dB cutoff point, you can do that. Exactly. Actually, uh, here, th this is a, a, a good point for somebody who's, say, fresh. If you could spend your money on a good power supply and a good oscilloscope, you can then find boatloads of projects online of people making frequency generators um, with like Arduinos and DDS chips and just build your own as a project. And then you can use those other two things to actually build your project. And then you can make mm -hmm. a frequency generator. Like I've seen frequency generators that are Arduino based that go out to a megahertz and allow multiple different waveforms and they're inexpensive and you get the fun of building it yourself. So I, honestly, I would go that route. Okay. So the opposite of a frequency generator, frequency counter. So this is, I actually do not own one of these. And I had to look up what these do <laughs> because I'm like, why, what makes it different from like an oscilloscope? So, you know, it, actually the, it's the, a the simple name frequency oscilloscope. counter is a little bit misleading. It's, it's a yeah, pulse it counter, right? It's pulse or, counter. Yes. Or it's a period counter. Uh, yes. Like you're not counting the frequencies. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no. I don't know. That, that, that's a little goofy. So I do have one of these and, um, Okay, so funny enough, I have one. It's not fantastic, but I use it on occasion. It's uh, on top of your one of your scopes, isn't it? Well, I took it to work actually. So, so with actually funny enough, with our frequency generators or our pulse generators or our oscillos uh, sorry oscillators that we do, um, I'll do heat testing on them. So I'll put them inside of a a big styrofoam box and I'll pump heat into them, let them cook for a uh, you know some period of time for it to let it, the um, them thermally like rest and i'll use my frequency counter to see how much the frequency has drifted in time that uh that is my one use that i've ever really used a frequency counter for there's plenty of other uses um but frankly like i've never run into the uh, a need other than what i just discussed since we do uh oscillators and we do a lot of like actual tuning i use them for that but mm -hmm. I only use them that way from the engineering side. I would never use a frequency counter in our test departments because they're way too slow. Um, yeah. I, I have other methods for that. Yeah. 
So yeah, I wouldn't nowadays it's something you just don't really use anymore. Um so but they're there. So if you if you need if you know you need to use one, go get one. Um but this one though, something everyone should have, I, I think. Oh Multi yeah, this meter. is probably the first thing other than a power supply. Yeah. First thing other than power slide, maybe is a multimeter. So there's two different types of multimeters. Well, it's probably actually more than two, but for the sake of this podcast, there's two. There's benchtop and handhelds. Um, if it's a, if it's, if you're going to only buy one multimeter, get a handheld one because that way you can carry it around with you. Throw it in your and bag. And the second one you buy is a benchtop. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's there is a third type that I'm actually going to call out that is rare but it does exist and that is a piggyback type for your oscilloscope and i'm not talking about like the internal to the oscilloscope but um hp used to make these or sorry tech used to make them where it's a it was a multimeter that sits on top my scope has that and it's a fully separate module it does display on the screen but it's not like it's reading the wave you actually plug in probes to it and i know some other meters do that too so but it's rare, and I doubt you're going to run into that. Mm-hmm. So this is why your second scope or your second uh, multimeter is a benchtop. And it's actually what Fabio just said in Twitch chat is it's harder for your colleagues to steal from your desk. That's yeah. plugged in. Yeah, it's a lot uh, harder. It's also it's there's something about having a bigger screen and they usually have more features they're faster uh they update faster they um, in general they tend to, to have more digits in general yeah speaking of that um four and a half is going to be plenty for you out there four and a half digit come on you don't need an eight and a half no <laughs> i was looking at an eight and a half uh earlier today that starts at twelve thousand dollars and I mean, I was lusting pretty hard after it. It was awesome. <laughs> Four and a half would be, it's going to be good for 99% of projects out there. Um, but yeah, uh, the actually the best thing about having a, a bench top is never having to replace the batteries. Because whenever you need to go use your meter, you've, you left it on and it, the batteries are drained. You know, there's, now, there's I'm actually one other- in. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go. Uh, there's there's one other f- uh, feature that's um, in in relation to replacing something that bench tops I think are superior. If for whatever reason you pop a fuse on a bench top, typically replacing the fuse is right on the front. There's usually like a an unscrew thing and you just pop them in. Whereas in a handheld, you have to pull the whole rubber boot off and the whole thing apart. It and, yeah. Uh, for. Benchtop, I've used two different brands. I've used a Siglent four and a half and five and a half digit. Oh no, we three. We used the Keithley before. Mm. Um, that was really that was a really nice uh, meter. That was on loan though. Um, and then what is that orange and gray one that we we used? Oh, that that, that one. Gosh, what well, um, that was an Amazon special. Amazon special. You can still get them. Um, it had a big, nice, actually, bright screen. I really like that uh, meter. It's like actually a really good meter for doing what we normally do at the Fab. Actually, it's like 
you know, test and validation stuff. Um, let me look it up quick. So it will so, pop up if you just type in benchtop multimeter. Probably. But there's a couple new ones out there that are benchtops now that are like in that. Oh, it was Tenma. Tenma brand. Apparently, they make a much like a, a crazy like 40,000 count, four and a half digit one. Mm. It's not in the $100 range, though. No, no. But they've got a oh, this is what this is what you get the electrical engineer in your life for Christmas. Dual display digital multimeter LCD wireless speaker plus clock. It's an alarm <laughs> clock that's a multimeter. <laughs> oh, Parker and I saw just the other week. Um, what is it? Fleural, Fleur. And uh, now has a, a, a I think multimeter. it's Fleer. Fleer, my bad. Yeah, has um, a multimeter available that has a full color IR camera screen on it too. I'm really close to buying that. It's six hundred ninety nine dollars, so it's not yeah, cheap for automotive use. That thing be awesome. It yeah, yeah, like just to be able to click it on. Although I read some of the reviews on it, and people are like, yeah, like it just guzzles double A batteries. Yeah, they they have a version that's rechargeable so i would go with the rechargeable route oh, <laughs> that, for, that yeah for sure yeah because um, apparently like if you're running that camera you, it has like i don't know something like four hours of of use without the camera and with the camera it's like one hour or something like that so on that so we just talked about a professional brand fluke is the quote yellow standard unquote in multimeters <laughs> for handheld at least and why when should you buy a fluke because for home gamers don't buy a fluke buy a fluke when it's your job buy a fluke when it's your job buy a fluke when you're doing work for clients and they're antsy about stuff and they want to see like that you're in control and that you got things taken care of Buy a fluke. If you want to get it regularly calibrated and you can, cause everyone does fluke, you can send it anywhere and you'll know they'll be able to do it easily. Uh, buy a fluke. If you want something that lasts a very, very long time. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to buy a fluke. Yeah. Um, mainly individuals don't buy flukes. Is companies buy flukes? So, yeah, that's and if you're going to buy a fluke, expect to drop, you know, I don't know, let's say five hundred bucks. Yeah, maybe which more. is fine. I mean, I'm looking at a six hundred dollar Fleer one, but that's because ah. it has a thermal camera. It has it's a thermal awesome. camera. It's so great. That'd be so nice to use for car stuff. So, um, yeah, I would say. 300 bucks for a bench top 350 ish for for a decent bench top and then for a handheld this is a thing with a handheld you're going to drop it um and i i personally we've said this a couple times on this podcast already but um i personally use a 20 dollar multimeter from harbor home. freight from harbor Fre- actually mine's from radio shack oh um, wow but you can still buy this version and the this thing about this 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 multimeter, I have dropped it off a dock into water. I have dropped it into sand. I've had like you cannot kill this twenty dollar multimeter. It still works, still works great. Um, 
Would I would I give it to anyone and have them use it? No. I would if I had a fluke, I would let someone else borrow that. But I, I it's more like I trust myself enough to use this twenty dollar piece of equipment. I wouldn't trust anyone else to use it though. So um on that features for multimeters. Try to avoid auto ranging if you can. The great thing about bench tops is they usually have auto ranging and they have ranges that you could set for like your measurements. So you can either auto range it or you could set the range automatically or manually, I should say, um, which is great when you need to catch fast measurements. Um, whereas handhelds, you either get one or the other. They usually don't have both built in. So you either get auto ranging or you get manual. I would, I would pick manual for a handheld. That's just my preference. So I just can't stand waiting there for it to figure out the range. Now, newer meters are much faster in that regard and that kind of stuff. But the old that's just been yeah. my in the past, my it's been pretty brutal how long it takes. Yeah. Especially if you I just do want- go buy it with some random box from, you know, the big orange store or whatnot. Yep. Yep. So I do need to get a new handheld. Um, so I, I, I worked a job previously where we had, um, a fluke 289, which is uh, a little bit of their higher grade stuff. And, um, this one had some really nice features on it, including internal memory. So we were able to do data logging on it and it was fantastic for some units we had, um, had intermittent failures that would happen once an hour kind of thing. And we'd let them run all night long and have this thing chug data logging through. And then we could download it, see what happened at the, you know, at those um, events that was really nice. It's uh, that's another situation though where it's like if you need it, you know you need it, and then you'll go and buy that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, so the meter's the one place where I might just arbitrarily spend more money. Whereas you know, with a lot of these other things, we were saying like uh, if you just avoid these features, you can save money. The meter is where it's like I don't know. I'd put extra money into a meter. Yeah, I think it's. Uh... I think it's going to be, well, I'm going to hold off on this thing, but because um, that's like my, the last question I have is what is the most important piece of equipment mm. in this list? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a spoiler, I guess. Maybe, maybe, well, not. maybe, uh, maybe not. I One other feature I would go for, find a, a meter that has true RMS. Uh, so it's mm, actually yeah. your AC measurements are calculating RMS. That's uh, that's important. Yes. Um, next thing, digital logic analyzer, and this is like the inverse of a oscilloscope for Stephen and I. Um, I think these are for for digital circuits is probably one of the most important tools you could have, um, mainly because a lot of times you need to capture a lot of data and analyze the actual ones and zeros of what you're outputting or what you're inputting into like a microcontroller or something like that. Um, And a lot, the, the great thing about the newer ones, they do auto decoding. So you can give it like what your, uh, um, 
your stand, like if it's a serial protocol, you can give it, this is the baud rate and this is the handshaking, you know, part and it will automatically decode it for you. Um, so that's, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing what modern DLAs can do. So I always highly recommend them depending on what you're, what you're doing and what kind of, what industry you're in in terms of electrical engineer. Cause you can do electrical engineering. is such a huge broad term of what you can be doing. And the difference between an oscilloscope and a DLA, there's both, depending on what you're designing, one is more important than the other. But they also cross over a bit. They do cross over a bit. Um, there are DLAs that have analog front ends that you can read analog signals off of. And then there's there's oscilloscopes that have, uh, that have DLAs decode, built decode. into them. Yeah. Yeah, those are uh, mixed signal uh, oscilloscopes. And yeah, can, I mean, yeah, I've seen some scopes that also have frequency counters and frequency generators built into them. They're they're trying to be the all in one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for DLA, I, I would say Salie is kind of like the golden standard. I want to say um, that's out there. I think it's Salie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember how to spell that. It's A L. A E A. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, S A L E A E. Okay. Um. But for the longest time, when I was in college, the only thing I could afford was a uh, Open Bench logic analyzer. And uh, man, I I built a lot of circuits and debugged a lot of stuff with that. $50 DLA. Mm-hmm. But now you can get, like, the $50 DLAs you get now are amazing. So, oh, yeah. I mean, the DLA yeah. I have, I think I paid 100 something for it. And uh, this was just a few years back. And um, it's, for, for for all intents and purposes, it's as good as the Saline we had at Macrofab. It, it yeah. might not be as, like, crisp and not in an aluminum package, but it, it does all the, uh, it does all the features. All the features. The the big thing on DLAs is the the front end setup on them, and not just like how fast what the bandwidth is, how much, what's the fastest signal you can capture with it. But it's really, in my opinion, is how much front end protection does the DLA have? Because like a, a scope, you can pretty much plug a scope probe into like practically anything and it's going to be fine for 99.99% of electrical engineers on your bench. That's going to be fine. Cause like they have like what 600, most of them are 600 volt front ends mm. and super high impedance. So there's no current <laughs> going, going into there. Um, now I think there's like, like 50 ohm soul scopes you can get and stuff like that, but that's, that's a completely different ball game. Now, DLA, a lot of them are like six volt tolerance. <laughs> so you have right. to be you have to be a little careful where you're going to plug this thing into. <laughs> right, right. But even some of like the super fast ones are like three point three volt tolerance. Like they're not designed to do, uh, you know, Arduino level stuff, which is five volt tolerant. Right. So, so you got to pay attention to that with a DLA. But yeah, if you're going to be doing like if you're going to do IoT stuff and that was is it, don't even get an oscilloscope. 
get get DLA. Yeah, so. yeah. Unless you unless like your whatever your IoT thing is like say it's an IoT function generator and you have to make sure you kept, <laughs> capture that like that's yeah. like yeah, just get a DLA. Yeah. Okay. Next thing, active loads. These are nice. Um so These active- are, this we're starting to get to the nice to haves. I guess Frequency generated encounters are nice to have if you have a purpose for them. But I would say an active load is really useful when you're starting to design power supplies on your on your boards and you're designing topographies that maybe you haven't designed before or you're doing sub-circuit design. So like you're designing your power supplies separately from like the rest of your low-level logic on your board. And so like you need to bring up the, the let's say a switch mode bring up a switch mode for the first time instead of it pumping it's what maybe could be 3.3 volts into your your hundreds of dollars of other circuitry maybe you should have it separated and then actually load it up with a test load to make sure it's functioning properly so that's what an active load would be used for yeah it's a, it's basically a constant current load or sync um yeah and uh, sync the uh, <clears throat> what's nice about them is you can characterize your power supplies across load using them. Um, so for for switch modes, that's great for you know turning on with particular loads and seeing what your response is, or seeing your noise across load or ripple across load. Um, they're also really nice for determining battery discharge. Uh, oh you can yeah, do constant current. I completely on them. forgot about that. So if you're dealing with battery circuits. They're they're extremely useful in that sense, but but we are we are starting to get into the like, well, if you're designing this, then this is a good tool for it. I mean, I guess we've been sort of talking that the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like active loads a lot. Um, that's why I use them for is, um, is bringing up sub circuits and power supplies and that kind of stuff. What Before. one downfall to keep in mind with active loads is um, sometimes they only accept positive voltage. Uh, they oh yeah they don't yeah. just act as like a variable resistor for anything you dump onto it. So keep that in mind. You can cause damage to them if you reverse bias them. Yeah, because usually they're they're it's a MOSFET basically, and you, and it's been driven into linear mode basically. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and it has like a, a a nice fancy feedback circuit inside that keeps it where it needs to be. So just reference whatever manual or or you know if you do need it, you know a a constant current for an AC load, keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, and I would say brand wise, I mean if this is your home gamer, I would just buy, you know, a fifty sixty dollar one that can handle what you need to test on like Amazon or whatever. It's not too big of a deal. This is not something you'll be using every day anyways. Yeah, I guess the only thing to keep in mind with that, I mean, sure, I think the $50 to $60 one probably will get by, especially if you're just doing like LiPo battery discharge or something like that. But just keep in mind what your expected design is going to be dumping into this thing because the way active loads work oh, yeah. is they just get rid of it as heat. So heat. You, have yep. to, you have to know how much you're cranking into it. Yep. No, as I said, you got to know how much you're going to be dumping. Right. Okay. RLC meters, which are different than multimeters. 
mainly because they only do RLC, resistance, inductance, and capacitance. Right, right. But they tend to be more accurate than a multimeter would be at measuring those. Well, maybe not resistance, but definitely better at inductance and capacitance. Well, like, you know, uh, if you look at impedance charts of a capacitor, um, it's it's all over the place based off of uh, a bunch of characteristics. RLC meters will let you identify uh, things of that sort. Like, where yeah, a lot of frequency like, are you measuring? It's yeah, you can set the measurement, uh, the frequency. Um, you can set some of them. You can set the voltage mm -hmm. that you're testing at, which is that would actually be very important for capacitance is measuring at a specific voltage what the capacitance is. Yeah, we we had a we had one at my first job that we paid seventeen thousand dollars for, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was so great. Well, the thing was we were developing um, vibration sensing probes, so it has a coil inside of a metal body, and then the extending off that body is coaxial cable that is uh, a handful of meters long. And that connects to the front end of a device that has a, an oscillator in it. And that oscillator is tuned to the impedance of the cable and the coil at the end of this entire cable. Um, and the whole purpose is to change your R's and your C's in your oscillator on the front end in order to resonate with the cable and the coil at one megahertz is the frequency we chose well we have this rlc meter because we could we could test every aspect of the entire system with that rlc and we could do sweeps across it and see everything so in in situations like that it was it was very very useful to be able to have a very specific meter like that, as opposed to like a handheld meter that's like, yep, it's a nanofarad, or yep, it's a microhenry, or whatever. Like, it, that's not enough most of the time um, when you're when you're deep in the weeds, like in that situation I gave there. Yeah. So ninety nine percent of the time, though, like if you're a home gamer, you don't need this. Uh, however, there are some some little boxes that you can buy on Amazon and tweezers too. Well, yeah, tweezers, uh, tweezers that do this as well for for SMT stuff. But but there's these little test boxes that you can buy for twenty bucks or less that uh, just has a little ZIF socket that you can plug capacitors, inductors, transistors, all kinds of stuff into, and you just press a button and it gives you a good ballpark number of what it is. So they're really fantastic for that time that you spill all your capacitors on the ground <laughs> and you're like, oh my yeah. God, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you just oh, yeah. plug them in and you find out what it is. Really and some cool. of them have little uh, surface mount pads that you can press a surface mount part down on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So if, if you're like home gamer wanting to throw together a little shop, an extra 20 bucks for one of those things is awesome. Yep. But if you're getting into like, building solenoids or, or doing any kind of coils or any kind of magnetic sensing or anything like that, then a better RLC meter is probably valuable to you. Well, yep. All right. Podcast is a little long, but accessories. So main thing on this kind of equipment is having good cables. I Good banana cables, one, are not that very expensive anymore. Um, and two good probes are not that expensive anymore either. Um, get like, there's like a link on Amazon that Steve and I always like. You can get like the crappiest multimeter, but the thing is, it's also going to have really bad probes. Awful probes. Pair pair a like sixty to seventy dollar handheld multimeter with like this 
$10 pair of probes. It's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, we, we've both been buying these probes for years now, and these probes are, are great. They're super They're, sharp. They got long, yeah, super sharp, long uh, probe tips on them. Uh, and they're awesome for like you can probe an 0402 component easy, no problem. Yeah, um, but the great thing about them is they're super sharp, and they're I think they're like seven bucks or something like that now. Yeah, they're so cheap. And so once you bend the tips up, then you can just go get a new pair. Now there was something I last time we talked about this, I said I was going to try them, and I never tried them. I have a pair of tip covers from. Um, tag connect hmm. that have apparently it's got like you know like a a, a pogo pin that's got like a serrated edges like a yeah. crown yeah it's like that for your tip so hmm. you, you don't slip hmm. but it's bigger. That's the theory it's bigger well it's a crown yeah tip let me see if i can find them real quick yeah that's interesting i'm trying to think of what the uh, situation you would really need it for is I guess okay. So if you're working, if you're working like a high voltage uh, situation where you 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 don't want to slip for any reason, that would be a good reason for it. So I bought them and never opened up the package. Yeah, I see it. Oh, and it must have been like two years more. More. It was before COVID. Um, that I said I was going to buy these and try them out. Bought them, never tried them out. But I think they have they're called no slip, no slip meter probes, mm. and they're like tips for the ends of normal probes, basically. Do they just slide over a normal? Probe? Yeah, they slide over your normal meter to, uh, probes. Mm. Yeah, so th- there's a magnified picture here. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just got some little grippy fingers or some yeah prong things on the end. Oh, yeah. So it's got like three. It's like a crown. I should take a picture underneath the microscope. Yeah. Of one of these. Yeah, that's good. Um, And see how well they work. Because I I completely forgot I bought them. <laughs> so I wonder if they'll fit on the $7 pair of. of uh, Maybe not because those are really perps. long and sharp. Yeah. They maybe might though. be. They might be expecting the regular like two millimeter almost blunt guys yeah maybe well we'll give it a shot maybe they'll be awesome and that would be like the relevation of um the next step up reverberation what was that the next step up (laughs) yes that sure oh okay so the question that i spoiled earlier what is the most important piece of equipment that you think on this list i think we can agree this one and two and they're both very close well one is more than the let's other. okay let's take power supply out of the equation because the power supply is just you it, you have to have it none of the other things matter if you don't have the power supply right? so I would say multimeter is number one. I would agree with that. And then number two, like in the same shopping cart is lab power supply. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I see. I see. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If you have a a multimeter and a power supply, you can do almost everything. Almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
and 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 like all the all the like digital stuff that you would need or or oscilloscope you would need for analog stuff um if you're willing to just like really chug through and beat your head on a table you there's a chance you could solve it without those things those things yes. might make solving it easier but like you know say you're a student and you have some kind of a project you're working on for a class uh, something or other you could probably get by without those things and just figure it out in fact it yeah. it might even be better for you if you if you had to figure it out <laughs> without those things if you suffered yeah. but yeah i would agree with you a good multimeter and a good power supply is a good place to start that's what i would start and then do some projects and then figure out if you want to either go oscilloscope or DLA next. Just think of like what problems you ran into and be like, would this have been solved with a DLA easier or would it have been solved with a scope easier? And then pick pick after that. I would not be surprised if almost everyone goes DLA just because I, I feel like just the way electronics is nowadays, a DLA is so much more useful. Um, than a scope, but maybe I'm wrong on that. It, again, it depends on what, I mean, a lot of people, you know, that get in electronics are building like stomp boxes and stuff like that. And a scope is going to be so much better at, at diagnosing what's going on with a stomp box. Oh, it'll, it's, it's infinitely more, uh, be, infinitely better than a DLA, but, but I yeah. guess the, the, well, okay. To, to, to kind of pick on the IOT again, uh, you know, how many people are building stomp boxes versus how many people are building IOT whatevers. Uh, I, I guess, I guess I'm just saying like, yeah, for the stomp box guys, a scope is invaluable. Yeah. If you are doing Arduino stuff, a DLA is probably going to be much better for you than a um, oscilloscope. Right, right. The problem is, though, is man, oscilloscopes just look cool. <laughs> you can turn them on and just impress your friends. Um, I guess I did if that you have college. really dorky friends, you can impress did that in your college. <laughs> I'd plug, I'd turn it on and then like put the probes on like the calibration thing, the one kilohertz, you know one volt peak peak wave oh yeah and just let set that let that sit in like the corner of the room on oh, during the party just let it cook yeah wow that's dorky you would do the same thing actually my uh my girlfriend right out of college i i remember i had a frequency generator and an oscilloscope and i plugged it in and she's like what is that and i i just gave her a basic like this is what it is and she's like can i play with it and she sat there for like an hour just like playing around with a scope and a frequency she converted some coolest thing ever exactly see yeah okay let's wrap up this podcast oh and so one more thing next week star wars podcast you know let's try to get more people in our live stream for this oh yeah that'd be fun yeah be a lot of fun so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. And we're going to start bringing back this outro because before the podcast, uh, we started recording. Stephen and I talked about writing a new intro. And so we're going to start doing the outro again. So that was, oh no, that's, that, I read the wrong thing, didn't I? 
Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer with no O's, or at EnlogENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. It is MacFab.com slash Slack. And check out our live stream, which is 6 o'clock Central Time Tuesdays at twitch.tv slash MacroFab.